Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you today with Yvonne Heath. Yvonne is a registered nurse and has been since 1988. She's worked in the US, Canada, and in many different areas, including the emergency room, intensive care, chemotherapy, and hospice. In 2015, Yvonne took a leap of faith and left her nursing career and blazed a new trail to create social change. She became disheartened by our society's reluctance to talk about, plan, and prepare for grief, transitions, and death. She saw that this caused excessive suffering in life and at the end of life. She too suffered, not knowing how to do it differently. Now, Yvonne shares her message with heart and humor as an inspirational speaker with her award-winning book, Love Your Life to Death, her online program, and a TV and radio host. In 2019, she delivered her TEDx talk, called Transforming Our Grief by Just Showing Up. So in this episode, Yvonne and I talk about just showing up for ourselves and for others so that we may empower one another and ourselves to be resilient when grief and life challenges arrive. You don't want to miss this episode. Grab your drink of choice and join us. Hi, Yvonne. Welcome to the show. Hello, Jennifer. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I'm so excited for you to be here. I'm so excited that you just showed up for me today and for my listeners. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't wait to get into this conversation with you about about resilience when it comes to grief. And I think Mm -hmm. this is so relevant today. And I know you started this mission in 2015. But I just I'm so interested in your story and you, and just how far things have evolved for you about this. So yeah, tell us about yourself first and how you've come to this point. 
Well, it's it's just so funny, right? Because we we think we have this plan in our in our head what we're gonna do. And I had no idea at 19 and I worked in a in a home. It was actually an institution for those who we now say developmentally disabled, physically disabled, you know, back in the day when they were all separated from their families and they didn't, um, there was no inclusion and, you know, having people be a part of the community. That was what we normalized, which is so interesting because we do normalize a lot of the wrong things. I loved it. I loved it. And somebody said, well, if you can do this, you can be a nurse. I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Um, I guess, I don't know what else to do. So (laughs) like some people say, oh, I always wanted to be a nurse. I was like, "Uh, no, I didn't know what else to do. (laughs) My mom was a nurse and she was exhausted and she did shift work. And, you know, I, I realized it was this very challenging career, but I just thought, well, I'll just go in and you know, when I have to give someone a needle, then I'll quit and figure out what I'm really going to do. Because <laughs> <Right? laughs> I'm not doing that. Yeah. Um, 27 years uh, later, like I had a 27 year nursing career, which was just such a surprise, right? Because I had no idea, but I became a traveling nurse. I, I was in Louisiana and Texas, and I worked in 10 different hospitals every department you could possibly imagine, emergency intensive care, chemotherapy, hospice. And it was it was so interesting because I couldn't settle anywhere. And I, I didn't really know why, right? Yeah. And what I realized was that I was gathering information for the second act of my life in this new other crazy career that I had no choice <laughs> was around, or I had no idea was around the corner. So it was an amazing career. I, you don't really know this yet, but I'm very funny and (laughs) I'm very compassionate and I was silly and I just loved on people. However, I suffered excessively because I did not, I was not empowered and resilient. I was not well prepared for grief, death, dying transitions personally, Mm -hmm. let alone professionally. And, you know, you kind of have this feeling, I know, you know, where you, ha- you feel like you should, oh, I'm fine, you know, pretend like you're okay. And you brush it off, you go to work and leave your personal self at the door, no matter what's going on and put on a happy face. So like many healthcare professionals, I pretended I was fine when I wasn't and I suffered silently until I could no longer do it. Mm. So did you like, did you experience like any mental health issues or was it more um, burned out? Was it inspired by something else? What, what, what was it that was, um, yeah. Or was it just the exhaustion of it all? All of it? You know, it's so interesting to kind of pinpoint it because I think it was the frustration of being in a system where people were falling through the cracks, where people were dying and no one was really talking about it or, you know, we were, I was in chemotherapy for over 15 years. And I mean, it was beautiful, wonderful, caring clinic. And many of the patients, like I just got in there. I visited people at home. I showed up at at their house when I was like pregnant with twins with an orange shirt. And I said, (laughs) here's my pumpkin. Like I just, you know, I got in with people. Many of them said to me, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want this chemo. I don't want this surgery. I don't want to go to intensive care. And I would literally like beg them. I would say, please 
tell your family, please talk to your doctor. And they'd say, no, they're not ready for me to give up. And it was heart wrenching. And, and that was part of my suffering. Like I just, you know, and I, I finally stepped back and I said, you know, like, are we well prepared for grief, death, dying, for having these conversations, like as professionals or personally? And everyone said, oh, no, we're terrible at it. Yeah. And like, go do your job. I still don't want to talk about it. And so I could just no longer ignore the conversations. And I remember having tremendous grief in my own life. Our, our son at one point, you know, had this wonderful family. I had been divorced, single parent, and I married the, like a mm-hmm. little flirting with this paramedic, ended up, you know, marrying him, having <laughs> twins of 40. And, <laughs> never say you're just having a good time, because you never know. We've now been having a good time for 20 years. Um, but our son went, had grief in his life. He had an injury. His snowboarding dreams were crushed. And he went down a very dangerous road of drugs and addiction. And in my own suffering, I felt like I was supposed to pretend I was fine. And I realized that people were avoiding me. Hmm. They were avoiding me because my big aha moment when I leapt into blaze this new trail of this new crazy career of writing a book, which I'd never thought of in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Every single person I spoke to said, Oh, when it comes to like someone struggling, I don't know what to do and I don't know what to say. So we avoid. Mm. And I was being avoided in my grief and my struggle. Wow. Right. And it was like, wow. You know, I would go to work and people would would like, hey, hi, how are you? You know, and if they, they if they wanted to feel like they checked in, oh, how's it going with Ty as, as they're running? And they I, I knew they wanted me to say we're doing OK, because they're just like, thank God she said it. I, <laughs> I checked in and I just couldn't pretend anymore. I just couldn't pretend anymore. So with your patients in the past, then opening up to you. Like, it all, I almost got the sense when you were explaining that, like how they would say to you, like things that maybe they haven't said to others about the way they felt about their own uh, mortality in a way, that um, there was something about you that wasn't so clinical in that moment, right? Like that you just were there, right? And it was like, so you were there for others. Um, and then when you were going through your own grief, you recognized that most people aren't so present with others who are going through that um, or just showing up. Right. In the way that you have been or had been, not knowing that that was a gift of yours, I would say. Yes. Well, um, as many people have seen um, the movie Patch, have you seen the movie Patch, right? Where Robin Williams starred in the movie as this Dr. Patch Adams. And when I saw that movie, that like changed my career. Like I was already silly, but then I really cranked it up. Right. So (laughs) so there's a collage back here and I'm like, I'm dressed like a clown and I always dress silly and I would go Mm. to work in chemotherapy and, and I I just allowed my humanness and my silly side and actually became friends with Patch, which was like the greatest joy of my life. Wow. Wow. Yes. Um, But he taught me a lot about, you know, there, he said like, there's relieving suffering. That is a tremendous high, you know? And, and so I, I guess I had, you know, a gift quote unquote, people would always send me and like, Oh, let's get Yvonne. That family's crying because someone's dying. She's good at this stuff. 
And, you know, I would stand there and say, oh, yes, okay, I'll take care of this. You know, I've got this and feel so good. I would just walk in there and probably cry and hug people and be silly and be messy. Like, I guess my gift was that I was okay with just being a hot mess with people. Just knowing, I mean, you can't, their loved one's dying. There's nothing to fix here. Right. You just need to allow the grief. And I looked around and people were terrified. We don't know how to help people live, grieve and die well. And what I found, why should we? We do not talk about this before. Mm -hmm. We do not have these conversations. And like somebody said to me, well, didn't you learn this in nursing school? Like, um, yeah, in great 1987, I might've taken a course on, I guess, I don't remember. This is ongoing learning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as things change in our lives, our, 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 what we need and our coping skills and strategies need to evolve. Yes. I was right? just going to say, like, we just need to pay attention, <sighs> you know, and not be so clinically robotic. <laughs> Like we have to be clinical. We have to be, we have to have the expertise. Yes. But we have to be human as well. And I think, like you said, is is that really something that can, I don't know, can it be taught? I think the awareness is so important. I think that is where, you know, education can definitely begin. Mm -hmm. Um, But to be in it, you know, is it's different because everyone's so different and we don't, you know, you don't know the dynamics of families and, and things and, and cultural beliefs and religious beliefs. Yes. Like, so you have to be aware of all of those things. So I guess I'm wondering, so for you, when you trans, like, when did you like officially leave the bedside of direct care and decide that this was something you were pulled towards was to help people just show up and they're, mm. you know, for others in their grief, but also for themselves. Well, it was in 2014 when I was 49, <laughs> literally, <laughs> and I was pacing. I knew I was going to do something different at age 50. I had no idea what that was. Wow. Um, I started pacing in my house and saying, you know, like we, we don't have these conversations and, you know, like poor healthcare professionals. Let's just talk about that. The elephant in the room. Like we are as healthcare professionals expected to know how to grieve ourselves and check that at the door and support all these people. And when, sorry, when did, when do we learn that? And, or there's a quick debriefing after something traumatic. Are you okay? Are you okay? Well, if you need help, reach out to the employee assistance program. Yeah. No, that's not good enough. So I was really becoming just anxious. Like mm-hmm. I'm saying, you know, we need to learn how to take better care of ourselves and each other. And it's not, it's beyond, you know, eat well, sleep well, drink water. That's just a given. I mean, that's not negotiable. I am talking about what do we believe about life and death? What are our coping skills and strategies? Let's build a foundation before. And I just started, I'm like, I can't do this. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you one of the pivotal things and you'll understand. Mm -hmm. I went into work at the chemo clinic and I was, you know, kind of knowing I needed to do something different. It was like one story after the other was like pushing me out the door. Mm -hmm. And my coworker said, oh, you're going to love this one. And I went, oh God, you're already getting me fired up. It's like 730 (laughs) in the morning. What is it? And there was a woman at a nursing home who was in her, I know 
I won't say her age yet. So she was incontinent, meaning, you know, she she couldn't control her bladder. She couldn't eat. She couldn't get out of bed. She was ready to die. Mm -hmm. She was ready to, I mean, this is, you know, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live as long as we live. And then wouldn't it be wonderful to allow a natural death? Right. So she had refused blood transfusions in the past and the doctor talked her into having a blood transfusion because it would help her feel better. So A, when someone is very elderly and you're trying IVs and did she know she's going to get her blood pressure taken every 15 minutes, be on a cot for hours and hours and hours. So he, he talked her into it. She was 105. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's a long life. Well, like, yeah, like, if, but so Yvonne, like, so when you say we have to talk about this early on, right? Like while we're living, basically, are you talking like family, like um, among the household? And I know that when patients come into the hospital, there is like DNRs and like that conversation is like top of the list for physicians to have. Um, but yeah, I sometimes just wonder, like, you know, are you speaking about both, basically? Like, what does the patient want? <laughs> like, are you basically like, yeah, I'm gonna blow the whole system. I'm just, up. I'm just gonna sit back here and let you. Oh go. yeah, it's like you just pull the string and let me go because this is what I aspire to see. And I just right. imagine our healthcare system that is failing, and everyone's so burned out. And we talk about compassion fatigue, and we need more people. What if this, we can normalize anything, right? Mm -hmm. We can normalize anything. We've done it. How do I know? In every hospital, when I started working, everyone smoked everywhere. Ooh, hi, do you have a cigarette? Here's ashtrays at the nurse's station. <laughs> wow. Disgusting. Wow. Yeah. Think about it. Now when I'm doing like a keynote speaking engagement or something, I say, okay, like let's have one of the smokers light up, see what happens. We would lose <laughs> our minds, right? Yeah. So what if we normalized being proactive and we normalized conversations about matter facts of life with our families, our friends, at school, at work, in our communities, in our healthcare system? We normalize conversations with children. I mean, when you talk about mental health issues, mm -hmm. I promise you that being ill prepared for grief, death and dying will either cause or compound mental health issues. So what if from an early age, kids understood that grief is a part of this journey? You know, I describe it as our mental, physical, and emotional reaction to loss, transitions, and change. Even in good transitions, you can grieve. Yeah. You move, you're sad to say bye to your old neighbors, you know, whatever, like no matter what you're going through. So, and, and what if we explain to these kids as they grew up that, you know, grief's a part of this journey and the best thing that you can do is just show up for someone, right? And that was my whole, yeah, just showed up movement, which I'll talk a bit more about. But when you don't know what to do, don't know what to say, just show up. So your little friend is crying, just sit with her and just say, I'm just going to sit here and be sad with you. Allow her feelings because that's what's going to help her heart heal. Mm -hmm. and, and so imagine from a young age, so a child's family member died. I mean, hello, what child has not had a family member affected by cancer or has had a grandparent die or a tragic death, whatever. Mm -hmm. And what do the kids do? Avoid them because they're, they don't know what to do or say. 
we can allow children to say, you know what, just show up. It's not your job to fix it. There's nothing to fix. Just allow that. And so if we had, you know, families saying, you know, I didn't talk about this stuff. I'm going to learn about grief and how to talk about this. And parents were, were empowering themselves. And then what if, here's the big one. At 18, we normalize that, oh, you're an adult. Okay, so now at age 18, this is just normalized. This is what we do. You have an advanced care plan. Who is your power of attorney for personal care, for finances? Are you a registered organ donor? Because P.S., I've had those conversations in the intensive care when someone's on life support. Mm -hmm. First time ever. Mm -hmm. um, okay, are you registered? All right. And here's your health card. And every year at tax time, you update this. You have conversations about quality of life versus quantity of life. And we learn to take care of one another in the community, compassionate communities. So the pressure isn't all on the healthcare system. Right. So that's it's not all up to your doctor. You know what? If I'm really grieving, I can talk to my friend here. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. Like, I mean, I can see that being normalized. I mean, I really can. And I yeah. think being in healthcare, you describing that to me it, as a healthcare professional too, but also someone who lost someone, you know, I lost my dad and I was oh. the one who called it, oh. Yvonne. And yeah. so like, you know, so I don't want to get like, I'll get emotional <laughs> probably yeah, if I talk about it. Listen, but, I'm mandated to make at least one person cry a day. I don't think I made anyone. So feel free. No, to is it me? Okay. <laughs> it my lucky day. But yeah. I mean, but my point is, is like, that sounds very reasonable and commonsensical at the same time, but it all, sounds also very compassionate and it just sounds more interconnected, right? Like you said, um, compassionate communities, right? Oh not just, goodness. not just at the, you know, the reactive time where we're in the system oh. because, uh, yeah, if, if there were more advanced directives within families and communities themselves, it would make things a lot smoother in terms of transitioning oh, or even or even healing if it's, you know, and I you kind of mentioned this, but in terms of defining grief, like you're talking trans like transition, loss, like I see a loss of like independence in my work. Well, and that's it's it's hugely grieving, right? Yeah. And you know, and, and lately, especially, I've been noticing it more and more. And it's, uh, but it's not something so openly talked about. It's more just touched upon. And um, you just, it's hard to know how to approach it. But I've been lately saying to myself and to my colleagues that I've been having really hard conversations lately, because um, touching on this topic specifically, and, um, and it's one of those things where I just, you know, close my eyes and go for it. <laughs> because I know it has to happen. And in mm -hmm. the in the end, um, you know, it's again trying to respect the patient um, and and what they what they want, right? What their plan is ultimately, and just knowing what that plan is is so important. So um, imagine if with. so. So I always share. I have seven takeaways that I share that yeah. to create that pro be proactive, create that foundation before grief transitions and end of life. Often it's you've been through it, realized you're ill prepared, you want to do it differently next time. The first one is the best time to talk about plan and prepare for grief, death, and dying is when we are young and healthy. Mm -hmm. And the next best time is now. And how sad, right? Like we see it as this awkward conversation because we've made it awkward because we haven't normalized it. Nobody wants to go there. Nobody wants to go there. It's yeah. no, and you know, I also like people say, oh, well, my doctor hasn't talked about 
this with me. And I think, oh my God, you didn't know that life ends with death. I'm so sorry to be the one to tell you. Yeah. Like we all know, but we're like, we're passing the buck. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. so when I, when I think of the healthcare crisis, you know, people are burning out and all this, well, there's so much pressure on the system, right? We need to, I'm sorry, people, we need to take responsibility to plan our own lives, plan our own end of life and everything in between. Mm -hmm. Like I plan for transitions ahead of time. I have 17 year old twins. They are going to be going away. Their older brothers, like 11 years older than they are. So by the time they leave, I will have had kids at home for 30 years, three zero. Wow. So there will be Tremendous joy, tremendous grief and joy, right? Yeah. It like grief and joy can coexist. I know I'm going to be a hot mess. Yeah. So I need to, you know, I want to give my kids roots and wings. I don't want them to feel bad for leaving mom's a puddle on the floor. Of course, I'm going to be hard. They already know that. And it's like, yes, and I'm going to grieve and I will create my joyful life. I am in charge of my happiness. I am in charge of my health. Mm-hmm. It's not my doctor's responsibility. They are a part of my team. And I will tell you, Pallium Canada is the national organization. And their, their goal is to have palliative care, which we'd need another hour to talk about that. Yeah. Palliative care is not about end of life care. It's any, you know, it should start when you have a diagnosis with a life limiting or altering disease. It's about what your goals are and, and, you know, helping you live a quality life. But they have, they talk about creating our compassionate community so that when someone isn't grieving or in the dying process or has a chronic illness, we need our compassionate community because now I need everyone to listen to this part. The health care system will be a part of your journey about 20% of the time, 20% or less, depending on where you live. Mm -hmm. The rest will be up to your family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, church group, whoever your compassionate community. So let's get back to taking really good care of ourselves in the community And, you know, when we are struggling, like our healthcare professionals and communities have in this pandemic, I don't know if everyone's heard there's this pandemic, you know, COVID-19, is everybody (laughs) here about that? Oh my God. I was wondering, I was wondering uh, if we we would get through the the episode without actually mentioning, (laughs) but it's, you have to, it is. Of course, you know, like we're done with the pandemic, the (laughs) pandemic's not done with us. Exactly. wouldn't it be wonderful (laughs) if we could practice in excessive intentional kindness, excessive intentional kindness towards our coworkers, ourselves. This has been a gong show for everyone. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Because again, when we talk about people talk about compassion fatigue, I will say, I might get people riled up. That's not, that's okay. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of that is from us blocking ourselves off as healthcare professionals when, Oh, I just can't do anymore. I can't be, I can't give anymore. I've given all I have to give. And so the thing is, is that they like block themselves off from here. I can't help you. We're busy. Oh my God, busy. We're busy. I can't, I don't know. 
And, you know, I don't know if at your hospital, anyone's ever a little bit mean to patients or rude. Yeah. You can't go home and feel good about that. Right. right? Like that's not going to fill your bucket. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you block yourself off and say, you know what? I don't have any more to give. I feel like compassion, kindness, and love and all that gooey stuff. There's an endless supply. You don't run out of love or compassion. And when you are kind to someone and you relieve their suffering, not curing them, not, not preventing their death, when you are kind to someone by extending a little bit of kindness, you are relieving their suffering, their yeah. fear, their panic, their loneliness, their isolation. And you can go home and say, oh, it was so busy. And you know what? This little lady was sitting there and I, I just sat with her for a minute. It doesn't have to take a lot of time. And I, I know I made her feel, she felt better after we chatted. You're, it replenishes your own, you know, yeah. your bucket. Ah. I mean, compassion is known. Like that's a, that's a fact that um, acting compassionately being, I shouldn't say acting, being compassionate um, actually does trigger those neural pathways to resist burnout. So I mean, yes. or to protect us against it in a way. So, and I, I will say being on the front lines, I know in a moment's time that can be hard, but I ha we have to keep reminding ourselves that it only takes a moment, like you said, like it could literally take a minute. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, I think too, we, we are so used to feeling like we have to fix like and I don't like that word but you know we have to do something medical <laughs> like we have to do something clinical that just so as a physiotherapist as someone who's in physical rehab for me to just sit with someone it's it's kind of like a mindset thing for me to recognize that I don't need to fix this situation right now like this person's suffering and I you know I had a moment like that today where I was like I you know and I you know and it's like you want to help the physical issue, but um, that's not why they're suffering too, right? So in paying oh attention goodness. to that. Yes. So thank yeah. you for recognizing that because I will tell you when you're in it, you know, I I learned so much in 2015 when I took that leap of faith and I, I there was a pop-up on, on Facebook, how to write a best-selling book. And I'm like, oh my God, that's <laughs> it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave my 27-year nursing career, write a book. And my husband, who's a paramedic, is just like, well, that's great. Except <laughs> you don't even journal. I said, I know, isn't it fantastic? And I just like, I became that, I was obsessed. What I realized, what I realized, first of all, people want to share their stories. Yes. I just, I sent out an email and I said to people, I want to hear, I want to write a book. I want stories. I want raw, gritty, real stories, being in the deep trenches of grief, working in the field. What, what got you through? How did you get to the other side and create a joyful life? Will anyone share their stories? And I just remember that was one of my aha moments when I said, like, I don't even know if anyone will answer. So where um, did you share this, Yvonne? Where did you put this out? Uh, I just, I sent an email. I think I sent on Facebook. Oh, okay. A couple of friends. Oh, wow. Um, it is 2022 and the stories haven't stopped coming. Wow. The stories have not stopped coming. People were like, 
oh my God, she wants to hear my story. We're, we're like stopping me in the grocery store. They were emailing me. They were sending me messages. I, I want to tell you about my dad. I'm going to tell you about my mom who died suddenly, the, my patient who was a 13-year-old boy. And, and I was just like, wow, people wanted to be heard and validated. I was not there as a registered nurse professional. I was there to create space to just listen. And I cried my eyes out many times and I listened and I said, wow, you've been through so much. And they'd say, thank you, because my family won't let me talk about this. Right. And then it goes back, comes back to that avoidance that you were speaking about. Right. So, absolutely. but you're there, you showed up, you had the offering of tell me your story, the invitation. And yeah, you just don't know what you're going to get when you just put the invitation out there. Eh? You, and, and it's amazing. And this is what I want to reassure people is you do not need, and that's, I did a TEDx talk and I said, you do not need a PhD to love and support people. Mm -hmm. What do you say? I don't know what to say, but I'm here. And all of the people that had tremendous grief or trauma who shared their stories, I said, what made the difference for you? And they would say, my friend brought me my favorite coffee every day. My, my mom or my, my neighbor texted me once a day. My, like they brought me pizza. None of it was clinical. Right. Right. It was all these little acts just just showing up. And that's where that came in. Because when I wrote my book, and I heard these stories, and they were incredible. I mean, I interviewed people ages 11 to 101. Wow. It was, yeah, it was life changing. And I believe it's a beautiful book for any adult to read. But then I was like, you know, we need to create social change, like with all, you know, people my age and, and above, and it's a little bit of damage control, right? Like we're going to help right, some yeah. become proactive. Yeah, We need to create social change. We need to get to our young people. And, you know, I, I tell people a lot, our twins were nine when I was writing my book. I said they were kind of like my experiment because, you know, I didn't shield them from any conversations. Right. Um, and I was talking to people and there were some really hard stories. And I would be bawling. They'd say, what happened? Mom said, oh, I just heard the saddest story today. And I, I'm just like, it's so, it was really challenging to listen to. And they would hug me and they would want to mm -hmm. know. They've read the book. They're a part of the book. And I just thought, wow. And then a couple of years later, I said, you know, I, what we need to really realize in healthcare, in communities, is what really makes the difference. And, and then I was pacing again, like when I was going to write my book, mm -hmm. I said, we just need to learn how to just show up. And, and it was like, oh my goodness, it was, you know, the lights went off and I said, wow, this is what we need. And so, so we created the, I just showed up movement and it's very specifically. So I have this bracelet on, yeah. it says hashtag, I just showed up. I do not take this off. And why it says, it doesn't say just show up, right? Like when yeah. you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, just show up. No. I'm going to lead by example. Yes. Right? Well, you know, you're you're telling me the story, you're wondering what to do. This is what I did when I just showed up. Exactly. I'm going to walk my talk. Yeah. And I want to be a great example. And you know, if we could all be a great example of just showing up for ourselves first, 
mm-hmm. checking in very intentionally, being our greatest cheerleader, like, you know what, this was a hard day and I totally rocked it. I did, <laughs> I did a hundred things right. You know, we, yeah. we, we tend to, there's 50 things we did right. And we missed something. We're like, Oh God, then we can focus on that. It's like, no, yeah. I don't do that anymore. Yeah. Another beautiful burnout preventer telling yourself how much rock just showing up for yourself first. And it's like that intentional checking in mm-hmm. that intentional kindness starts with being kind and compassionate to yourself. It's so true. Oh my God. I, I imagine like that. It's not rocket science, but it is so critical. It is. It is because we can be so deflective when we're not taking care. Like I don't mean taking care in the self-care sense of taking care that's so socialized out there and sensationalized. I mean, taking care like of our, just literally taking care of our own well-being and really just being just in tune with how we're feeling, whether it's good or not, right? And being okay with how we're feeling, whether we're not feeling at our best or when we're feeling down or whatever it might be or challenged or or whatnot. Um, I just think that's living in integrity too. And that's kind of what you were just speaking about right there about yourself just showing up. So that's what I was going to ask you. A lot of things I was going to ask you, like I have this whole sheet. (laughs) You just all answered. So this is, is but but no, but that was perfect because I'd rather that just flow naturally. So that's basically what I was going to ask is you you touched on this quite a bit quite a few times, but how do we show up for mm. ourselves? So, you know, right now Yvonne in healthcare like working through this pandemic, like I'm sure a lot of providers are grieving in some way for a loss of the way things were, right? Even though we were struggling pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. but just you know, even just wearing PPE every day that we got to do, like it's a lot, right? It's it's heavy. Um, so just grieving just the way it used to be that way, maybe grieving the loss of coworkers who they've worked with for many years, who've exited or have retired, um, who have moved on. And so what, like during this time, what could you say right now for providers to kind of inspire them to just show up and to remain showing up, um, and to keep believing in that? Mm-hmm. Um, well, so first of all, again, it, especially it's so interesting, right? Because we are grief avoiding death phobic society. And then these healthcare professionals work in, in a system where you, you take care of people and they have an illness or they die or there, there's someone they love died. And, and we forget, right. That that's really hard to deal with. So then you, you have, you may have personal things that are happening. And again, you know, Grief can be divorce, diagnosis, job loss, mental health issues, struggles with children. Children are struggling with all this school stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that a very important thing would be to kind of pause and say, you know what? Like, I believe we need to get back to the basics and become proactive and start with. And, and it's funny because people talk about, like you said, you know, self-care and everything. And I say, yes, and I agree. What do you believe about life and death? <laughs> I think like we have to get back down to that foundation yeah, yeah. because if you see every patient that wasn't quote unquote saved or that gave up as a failure on your part, on the doctors and everyone's like, ah, oh, you know, we didn't save them or yeah. they opted for maid or, you know, like it's this, this awful thing. Mm-hmm. I believe that we have to step back. And say, okay, because you will have 
death, people die in your life and you will have patience and grieving people. So I didn't have, like, I had to go back and say, okay, first of all, I have to accept that everyone has their journey. Some journeys are harder than others. You know, some journeys are harder than others. It is not my job to judge or to fix that. I can love and support them along the way. People die at all ages. We do not all die of old age and we do not always get a warning. So you don't have to like it. If you can have an acceptance, especially if you're going to work in my goodness, emerge or something. And, you know, I mean, I, I said, well, I'll work and emerge until like a child is like a dies and then I'll fall apart and quit. That was my coping skill, which right. is not very strong. Right. So, so I, I stepped back and I said, okay, we all have our journeys. We're all here as long as we're here. Some people are here five minutes, five years, 10 years. I need to accept that. I don't have to like it. And I believe that we are all spiritual beings having a human experience. So I'm here as long as I'm here. And I've normalized those conversations. That alleviated a lot of my suffering. Right. That alleviated because whether I'm, I'm not working in the clinic, but I promise you, a lot of people reach out to me with very hard stories of people dying, trauma, you know, traumatic deaths, murder, like people reach out. I'm like the go-to, the death diva. So I I needed to get to that place. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask you about that when you were mentioning that you were still getting stories that you too must be dealing or like, you know, having to remain resilient through that at the same time. Right. Well, there's, there's two things I have my, I now believe my belief about life and death and I no longer judge. I used to go home. Oh, why did they have to go through that? Why did they die so young? And I'd be like crawling home and I want a bottle of wine and I was suffering. Yeah. And now I accept and I allow my grief. I allow my grief and I ball my eyes out. I, and I know Seema with my seven takeaways that like I, I created them, which people, if they follow me, they can get the seven takeaways. And it's just wonderful because it's what I learned in those, that 27 year nursing career and the eight years of interviewing people. But I have my belief I allow my grief. I know that's the path to healing. I know that I can just show up for others mm-hmm. without, you know, having to fix it. I will, I just walk in and I just say, I am here to hug people and I will start to cry. So I don't try, oh my gosh, you know, I need to say the right thing. I was their nurse. Now I just, I'm here and I'm messy and this is really sad. Mm. So I, you know, I don't, I think that a lot of healthcare professionals, we like swallow our personal grief and our professional grief. Yeah. And I have a friend, Maria Klievkov, she has healthy mourning, how we need to convert our grief to mourning. We need to get it out. Mm-hmm. And, oh, here's a big one. In this time, we've had everything from disappointment to devastation, right? People have been devastated. And so sometimes when people are, quote, just disappointed, oh, I shouldn't complain. Other people are having such a harder time. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. (laughs) Sometimes you'll be having the harder time and someone will be having an easier time and it's all valid, right? Yeah. If you're disappointed about something, you know, acknowledge and allow your 
feelings. Acknowledge and allow other people's feelings. Wow, that really sucks. Your kids didn't get a graduation. Like, you know, you don't have to say, well, I had a death in the family. So, I, you know, I don't care about that. Well, no. Yeah, that's very disappointing for your kids. Absolutely. And, you know, if we could allow each other that grace, acknowledge and allow each other's feelings. Yeah, that's really hard. Express it. Wearing PPE every day, I will tell you, again, my husband has to do this, right? Right, yeah. Right. I have never been so happy in my entire life not to be working. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I, oh my gosh, I'm yeah. kind of claustrophobic. I probably would have been like the worst person there. So, <laughs> you know, it's all easier said than done, absolutely. Yeah. And here's the thing. If you're in it, you... If people are going to choose, and I thank them with all my heart and soul for choosing to stay, you need to practice that intentional checking in, that intentional, like being ridiculously kind to yourself, acknowledging and allowing your feelings. Like, I mean, I think sometimes, I hope no one, I don't get in trouble, but they take that PP and like squish it and rip <laughs> it up and burn it when you can't use it anymore. Like, ah. Yeah. Let it out. Yeah. I yeah. mean, come on. Yes, this is really hard. It's very hard. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. so, you know, again, you really, it's like that whole saying, Jan Aiken said, you should spend 20 minutes a day in nature unless you're too busy. Then you should spend an hour. Yes, I love that. I've heard right? that before. And, and, and the point sense. is, yeah. we need to be like exceptionally intentional Mm-hmm. But okay, like what is what is what am I really struggling with the most? Right. And how can I navigate? How can I choose to navigate this? Yeah. What do what skills do I need? What, you know, do I have supportive people around me? Am I asking for what I need? That's another one. Yeah. Oh, I'm very strong, independent. I don't need anyone. Yeah. That can only go so far and for so long. Yeah. (laughs) So true. And that's where like the team environment is so important, I find in healthcare, um, especially. So you mentioned like, like what kind of your beliefs are about life and death there. So what are your personal beliefs, if you don't mind sharing about life and death? Like you mentioned, we are, you know, spiritual beings having a human experience, and you do believe that. But what is like, fundamentally, what is it that you believe? And, and how has that guided you through and um, liberated others to start kind of having these proactive conversations and reflective questions on their own life and what mm-hmm. they believe? Well, it's interesting, because I'm, I'm going to look over here, because I have this beautiful kind of place. I, I also created rituals when I'm grieving, I write people's names, I like candles, and I have this. And there's an Aboriginal, Australian Aboriginal proverb, and it says, we are just passing through. Our purpose here is to observe, to learn, to grow, to love, and then we return home. Mm. And you know, that's enough for me, right? Like I, like a lot of people want to explore what happens when we die. And, you know, and I think I'm a spirit. Like I, I tell my, my kids are like, I know, I know mom, you'll be a spirit in the sky. We'll be connected forever. So I truly believe that we stay spiritually connected. Right. So, so when we physically die, that doesn't end the relationship. It changes it to a spiritual connection. 
And it's not a religious thing. It's spiritual. Mm -hmm. And that gives me comfort, right? That gives me comfort. And again, more than beliefs is the acceptance, right? Mm -hmm. I do not know how long I am here. And I accept that. I'll be really mad if I'm not here for a while. I'm not done yet. (laughs) However, it's, it's that acceptance. Like, okay, so I am going to live the heck out of my life now. I am not going to say, I'm going to start to be happy when I retire. I'm going to yeah. be start to write that whole yeah. thing. Yeah. And I think we also set ourselves up for failure when we do that, mm-hmm. right? Like live your life now. Yeah. We're living resistantly, I think, to the thought of death or to yes. to the inevitability of it. Like it's going to happen to all of us. Do? You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. we, I find a lot of like things that are like, you know, again, like the self-care thing and things that are sensationalized a lot in the media or yes. culture and the media is all based on kind of resisting, you know, the the aging process and just, you know, just resisting that rather than embracing that and accepting that and how we can grow into that more fully ourselves. Like you've had a 27 year career. I'm thinking about you right now, a 27 year career in nursing, like that's a full career. And now you're doing this on top of that, which is also very full and I'm assuming very fulfilling for you. Like that's amazing. And, And that's a lot to, um, lot to be proud of. And I hope a lot to, to inspire yourself, but also to inspire others. Cause not many people can, can say that, right? Like usually after 27 years, people just retire and they're ready to, to, <laughs> they're just ready to ready pack to it in. Or something. Well, right. It's like, they're just making it. <laughs> so well, here's, yeah. And here's the thing. And, and I think that, you know, this is another thing that I believe people can do right now Um, Like for me, I mean, I don't think everyone has to leave their nursing career, write a book and create a movement and do all these crazy things. And I mean, I'm 57 and, and I just feel like I'm just getting started. Right. And I just showed up movement, teaching people of all ages, how to just show up for themselves and others. So they are empowered and resilient when grief arrives. All we need to do is find something that we are passionate about. Now, For me, this is a calling. If someone is passionate about collecting rocks, about having a garden, about walking dogs, find something. It Mm -hmm. doesn't matter what it is. And you know, that whole, like we compare ourselves to others, right? The only person I compare myself to is my old self. Like that sounds cliche, but I have no idea what anybody else ways or what they're doing or how much they I don't I'm not interested right I'm interested in being the very best version of me sometimes I'm a hot mess I don't always you know I I say I'm going to do this and then I'm over here I like you know shiny (laughs) things distract me and I laugh at myself and here that's the other thing can we please bring in heart and humor yeah Humor, humor, humor. There is always a place for humor. If you haven't seen the movie Patch, watch it. Patch Mm -hmm. Adams, he still clowns around the world. He's 76. He is at the bedside of dying children, making them smile. Now talk about, yes, there's grief and joy, but I just made a child who was dying smile. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, right? So whatever, wherever people can find something that you're passionate about and go relieve suffering, make someone smile, like make someone 
smile, bring kisses to work, you know, little chocolate kisses, just do something, right? That will fill your heart and someone else's. Imagine if everyone just showed up at work and said, you know what? Yes, there's a lot going on. I'm going to be excessively kind and compassionate and nice to myself, to my coworkers and to every person that enters in here. Because I will tell you, when people feel heard, they complain a lot less. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, it can only benefit ourselves and the greater good. Like it just... I mean, it's a win-win. It's a win-win. Yeah, it's a and I win. Yeah, and I hope that this uh, this episode just kind of serves as a reflection. And I, I'm very, I'm a very big advocate of a reflection. I know we're not perfect, and again, when we're in the moment, it's a very different situation sometimes. So I really believe in reflecting. I'm a big like <laughs> reflector, and that's how I. That's how I shift and that's how I, I grow and that's how I become better and the best version Absolutely. of me. Um, and so it's not about being perfect. It's about, yeah, it's about just being yourself and, and, and showing you know up what? With, yeah, sorry, yeah. but be yourself and maybe a little silly. Uh, yeah. Because this is, I, I'll, I'll say one short story <laughs> because it's said like people say, oh, well, it's not funny, you know, like PPE, obviously you can make faces on it or whatever, like <laughs> stickers. I have like minion stickers everywhere. I have, I have a row of toys like right here. I'm 57 <laughs> years old. And like I said, and I have all kinds of toys right here, but I had to go get a colonoscopy. Now, is that fun? Uh, like, no. Would anybody look forward no. to that? No. So I had my husband draw right above my butt crack, or he wrote in, in permanent marker, have a great day <laughs> and a smiley face. Because I thought, like, they're looking at people's butts, and I'm not thrilled about doing this. I thought, I got to make someone laugh. And all I remember is, like, I was lying on my side, and I heard, I, 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 I knew and I said, hey, Jennifer, haha, her name I said, I have a nice message for you. And then the pain head kicked in, and all I could hear her scream, oh, my God, and she started laughing. That's That's right. That's awesome. That is awesome. I love that story. It didn't cost me anything. It didn't take any time. Right. Right. You know what? And Yvonne, like literally when I was doing a a journaling, because I'm a big journaler, I know you, you never did, but I I am. But one of the things that, and I recently shared this too on the podcast, I believe is I wrote that down for myself is laughter. Like I, I, I had a moment where I recognized I wasn't laughing much and I, and I love to laugh and I know people who know, like, know me in this, in this like environment, I guess, don't know that about me, but I, I love to laugh and I love to engage in, you know, so for, you know, for me to have like written that down and to see that, like looking back at me, I'm like, wow, like, you know, I'm I'm glad I noticed it. And, and since then have been just more aware of that and try to sprinkle that in where I can. And I love it. And sprinkling it. Right. And, and like in that compassionate community, just showing up for someone, maybe saying, hello, how are you? And having a little story and making them smile or like, yeah, telling a funny story. Like, oh, I had this crazy guest. Guess what she did when she had her colonoscopy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And yeah. we're having a toy or, or, you know, Whatever. like just, we can have stickers, minion yeah. stickers. Like yeah, if, just we, if we let just, the light in, right. Let the yeah. light in. Let the it's light been, in. It, yeah. Like, yes, it's been very challenging. I can't imagine we need that light, love, compassion, heart, and humor more than ever. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's no better time. Wow. Well, thank you so much. I want to know more about where people can find you, (laughs) your book, your TV show, (laughs) your podcast as well. uh, Right. I have a weekly show. Yeah. 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 Okay. So is your, so it's just your weekly show, not just, but is it your, your show on Rogers there that I saw that? No, I haven't. It's on a new platform called Women Women. And uh, yeah, it's a really amazing platform. Everything is on my website. So it's okay. loveyourlifetodeath.com. Perfect. And uh, people, you know, if they want to reach out, they're welcome to connect uh, through there. And, you know, in parting, I just always say, when you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, just show up. And remember to always just show up for yourself first. But wait, no matter what you do, always bring your own tambourine to the party. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's It's been been lovely, super inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward. And I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes. And you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jenniferGeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.